Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, Matt. How you doing this week, brother? <laughs> I'm good. Y'all should see how animated Adam gets doing this intro. Now. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, you you got to get into it, man. You got to pump yourself up. I love it. And I'm a I'm an animated guy when I talk with my hands, so it it's really a a hard thing for me not to smack this mic stand if you, all episode. If you handcuffed myself and Adam, we would be mutes. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Seriously, I can't speak without pointing and gesturing and all that. It, we would either be mute or we would probably come away with so many bruises and cuts from us beating each other up accidentally, you know. So you, how's your week going, Matt? Uh, it's going pretty good. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of stuff going on getting ready for Thanksgiving. So oh. if, if you're listening to this, Thanksgiving was yesterday. Right. But it's not here yet for us so. yeah it's this weird time warp thing i'm yeah. trying to figure out uh how trying to figure out how to put that before we started recording was like are we in your future or are you in our past or how to i don't know but so if you're listening to us now which is then but now it's like space balls yeah uh it's black friday so if you're listening to us in the car you're cussing somebody in front of you that's not going because you're sitting in traffic because of all the people out shopping. So. Yep. Or they've just pulled in front of you and taken your parking space. Right. Um, <laughs> or something. And this is why Adam hibernates during Black Friday. I don't, yeah. you know, I'll shop online if I got to. I'm not getting out there. But for over a week now, I have had a song stuck in my head and... I figured the best way for me to get it out of my head was to tell all 10 of our listeners what it was and maybe get it stuck in their head. I thought he was going to sing it. And in your head. I'm about to. (laughs) I believe I can fly. Oh, my God. I believe I can touch the sky. That has been in my head for over a week. (laughs) Get it out. Oh, God. I don't know why. I I I didn't listen to R. Kelly nobody mentioned R. Kelly around me. It's like I woke up one morning and I believed I could fly. I don't know. It was it was weird. <laughs> so now that I'm... I'm, th- <laughs> I'm thinking of something about R. Kelly that I'm not going to mention Yeah, PG-13 <laughs> podcast, Matt. We can't do that. <laughs> yeah, and you and I are both guys who like to change lyrics to songs. And, oh, yeah. And I think that's one reason why we get along so well. So... I've been singing my alternate version to that, which I'll sing for you after we stop oh, recording, yeah, yeah. because I probably shouldn't do it with, you know, the guidelines we have set for <laughs> ourselves. Um, but now that I'm I'm done uh, pissing off our entire listenership with R. Kelly, um, wanted to talk about real quick that as 
independent podcasters, we rely so much on the support of our listeners and our fellow podcasters. Uh, we couldn't grow without you guys talking about us to everybody. So go talk about us to everybody and the ratings on iTunes and other platforms. So with that in mind, we wanted to draw y'all's attention to some other awesome independent podcast. Yeah, the Mad Scientist podcast with Dr. Chris Cogswell. That's not just a moniker he gave himself. He actually has a PhD. He covers a lot of the weird and oddball topics like we do here on Graveyard Tales, like the history of Halloween, the Kraken. That was a good one. Cannibalism, shadow people, and more. And he does it from the scientific perspective. He makes us look like a couple of big dummies. He which, really does. Which we are. Yep. And we like him for that. He's part of the Dark Mist Collective and the, uh, sci- say that word. Sciencia. I had to, he told me how to say it and yeah, I screwed it up. I had to actually ask uh, Chris how to say that. I'm like, <laughs> you have got to tell me how to say this so I don't sound like the big dummy that my accent makes me sound. Yeah. So the Sciencia Network. So you can find him there or you can find him on any podcast provider that's the Mad Scientist Podcast with Chris Cogswell. Yep. Go find him and, and give him a rating. Also, uh, we wanted to mention TJ over at Pints and Puzzles Podcast. He's another one of our brothers of the bazaar. He covers uh, topics including UFOs, the Tunguska event, the Green Children of Woolpit, and a lot of others. Um, and finally, now, you don't have to choose between getting a weird story and hearing a good beer review. And you don't know how many times I've had to do that. I've had that battle myself because he does both. So at the end of every episode, he will review a craft beer or whatever he's drinking. And every single time, it makes me want a beer. And I'm not even that big a drinker. So I suggest going over and checking him out. But why don't we let him entice you over to his channel? What's the podcast? Play me a podcast. Hey guys, it's TJ from the Pints and Puzzles podcast. You miss me to my dad. We explore some of the strange, unusual, and often obscure cases throughout history. But did I mention there's craft beer reviews? My dad shows the best. Come give us a listen on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. All right, so that was TJ over at Pints and Puzzles. Please go give him a good review, subscribe to him, and listen to him, and also do the same with Dr. Chris Cogswell over at the Mad Scientist Podcast. Now, go review ours if you have not yet. Please go review ours. I know you're going to go do theirs, but, you know, do ours first. You know, review ours, give us a give <laughs> yeah. us a rating. We're and, first. Right. Do us first, then go give them a rating. I'm sure they will understand. Yeah. Um, but all right, Matt. So now that we talked about us a little bit, what are we talking about tonight? Tonight, in honor of Thanksgiving, we are going to talk about Haunted Massachusetts. Yes. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this one. So like pilgrims and Indians and ghosts and all that kind of stuff. We're going to be talking about no, no, we don't have haunted cranberry salad story, but. Oh, but I do. Oh, do you? Oh, you no, didn't tell no, me about that. Oh, no, that. wait, wait. I'm sorry. Yeah. That, I can't, I can't share that. <laughs> All right. So. Okay. So 
in looking into this, we found tons of places in Massachusetts that are haunted. And because of the age of the uh, the area and the settlements that were there, it is just ripe with old historic buildings, battles, deaths. I mean, the history there right. just lends itself to hauntings and the paranormal. Right. And I mean, these stories go all the way from, hey, I just saw a ghost or, hey, I hear something laughing to, I mean, cryptids to UFOs. I, I mean, the, the list just goes on and on and on. So I hope we're going to share some things that you may have been familiar with tonight. And we're definitely going to tell you some stuff that we had never even heard of. But it's super creepy, super interesting. So sit back and enjoy some of these. So um, I'd like to start tonight with uh, some of the locations that are right around um, the most common areas uh, of Massachusetts. Starting in Boston, in, in Boston Common, there is the Omni Parker House, uh, which is a hotel built in 1855. It is the oldest continuously run hotel in the United States. And I had to look up what that meant because I was like, there's older hotels in the United States. Right. Um, when this building opened, it was a hotel and it's been a hotel the entire time. It was never something else or it was never built as something and became then a hotel. Became a hotel, right. Okay. So it, it's been a hotel the entire time since 1855. Um, a lot of the reports... Uh, from the Omni Parker House are of orbs and laughter. Um, no real stories of apparitions, uh, cold spots, things like that. But the coolest story that I found about the Omni Parker House is that Charles Dickens used to stay there. And every Christmas, Charles Dickens would actually orate a Christmas carol. That was a big word for you. That was a big word for me. <laughs> and there is a mirror in the Omni Parker house, still there. It's called the Charles Dickens mirror because he would go and practice his soliloquies. Another big word. Nice. Um, in this mirror. And rumor has it that if you go to this mirror and you say, uh, Charles Dickens three times, something will happen. He'll appear. You'll feel him touch you. Something like that. So it's the bloody Mary of Christmas time. Basically, It, it is. Yeah. So, you know, it's a bloody Mary Christmas. Hey, that kind of went together, didn't it? <laughs> I did not plan that. <clears throat> well, you did well. All right. So just kind of starting off, you know, that's just that's a that's just one of the little quick ones that we found right in the Boston area. Right. So one that uh, another one that we found that a little more in depth um, is the Houghton Mansion. Um, now the ha Houghton, excuse me, the Houghton Mansion uh, was built by the first mayor of North Adams. Uh, in 1890, and his name was Albert Houghton, and I may be pronouncing that wrong, so if you're from Massachusetts and I'm pronouncing that wrong, um, tell me so I can do better the next time I pronounce it, which I may never. I think it's right, because I, I, I watched videos on this, and people from Massachusetts said it that way. So, Oh, well, good. Um, so Albert Houghton was born in Vermont in 1844, and he was president of the Arnold Print Works. Now, the building where Arnold Print works is um, that used to occupy is still standing today, and it's been converted to a museum. Um, so they they built this Houghton Mansion, and when Albert was 61, 
he decided he was going to spend most of his time at home. So he spent time with his daughter, Mary, and his wife. Now, in the spring of 1914, Albert bought his very first car. And a few days after they bought their very first car, and I think it was the very first car around that area in Massachusetts. I could be wrong. Um, Okay. Um, But there was an accident where their, uh, their trusted servant was driving them around in their car and they had an accident and the accident killed Mary and Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Houghton. So the, the servant, he just never could forgive himself for this, for killing Mary and Mrs. Houghton. So the morning of August 2nd, he went to the basement and shot himself. And Albert didn't suffer any physical injuries in the crash, but after his wife and daughter died, his heart was completely broken. So 10 days after the crash, he died. And so that there again, that goes to the, you can die of a broken heart. Um, the mansion has remained in the family until 1926 when it was sold to the Freemasons. It's now a, a building where the Masons hold their secret meetings and rituals and stuff like that. Now, getting into some of the paranormal activity. Um, there, there was a Mason that had been at the mansion for like 28 years. And he'd never seen anything really odd that he could explain. But one day he was on the second floor records room and he was there with his wife and they were looking through some old records and they kept hearing the sound of papers rustling. And it was somewhere else in this big room. So they went looking for it. Well, the noise got louder and louder and it scared him and his wife out of the building. So they became believers right then. Um, There's also a story of another Mason who he was downstairs and there was a lot of snow outside. It was winter and he heard what sounded like someone open the door and start stomping snow off their boots. And so he listened to that for a minute. He was thinking there's nobody else in here. So then you start, he started hearing footsteps coming down the hallway. So he was like, well, who came in? So he goes rushing out there, and there's nobody there. He looks out the door, and there's no prints. There's no nothing there. Um, so he, again, he became a believer that night. Yeah, and the uh, the story with Mary, his daughter, was that she had made a promise to her father that she would always be there to take care of him. And Mary is one of the apparitions that's been seen. Um, there are several accounts of seeing a flowing dress or the hem of a dress, especially in the basement. Um, And it's believed that this is Mary staying there to take care of her father, fulfilling the promise that she made to him. Um, Also, one thing to, um, to mention is the, even though the, the Houghton, uh, Houghton mansion is owned by the Freemasons, they still do uh, active, ghost hunting and thing like that and things like that there um they bring in psychics and sensitives to try to communicate because the 
the hauntings that they've experienced there have not been dangerous or malevolent. Right. So they want to try to communicate, since it is believed that these are the ghosts of the family that lived there. Um, there are there are EVPs uh, that you can you can go and, and search out and listen to, and one in particular was a psychic was there and was recording an EVP or, or was doing an EVP session rather, and she asked specifically to Mr. Houghton, "What is your favorite holiday?" And it clearly says Christmas. And Christmas time, you know, at the Houghton house was a was a big deal. It was special to Mr. Houghton. He was a he was a family man. He he wanted those people around. That's why he chose at the age of sixty one to stay in that house. Right. So um just, you know, some pretty cool stuff, you know, has come out of there. Yep. There um some of the videos that they have on that, um, there was a a uh, couple, man and woman, who were ghost hunters, and they went down to the basement, and they'd set out a bunch of toys, and they had a couple pinwheels, and they kept asking for responses, and it seemed like every time the guy would spin the pinwheel, then uh, the EMF meter would go off, and so then he started asking if they could spin it. And you did see the pinwheel rock a little bit. Um, there were a couple videos of supposed full-bodied apparitions. And I saw those, and just being perfectly honest, I was not 100% convinced by those. Um, because to me, they could have been... Uh, they could have been distortions of the digital camera whatever there there was nothing defined enough for me to say yeah that was uh, an apparition that was caught on camera so for i don't know for this one for the Houghton mansion what i found i'm not 100% you know believing this one i don't know about you matt but the stories are fun i mean it, you know it'd be a cool place to visit oh absolutely <clears throat> But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're not just super scary or anything like that, and really largely look like they've been put out there just for, you know, PR. Right. So, um, but still fun. Uh, one of the uh, one of the cool places in Massachusetts is a lighthouse called the Plymouth Light, or the the Gurney Light, or it could be Gurnet Light. Um, it to me, I want to say Gurney Light. Anyway, uh, it's a lighthouse. You can say whatever you want to <laughs> say. It's a lighthouse in Plymouth, so we're we're back to the Pilgrims. Um, built in nine and seventeen sixty nine, and the lighthouse is believed to be haunted by the first female lighthouse keeper, Hannah Thomas. Hannah Thomas took over as the keeper of the lighthouse when her husband uh, was killed in the Revolutionary War. Right. So a photographer went out to the lighthouse to shoot some pictures and decided I'm going to spend the night here because, you know, it seems pretty cool. And there's stories that there's a ghost here. Her report is that in the lighthouse, she saw a full body apparition of a woman in revolutionary period clothes with long black hair. And based on descriptions, she believed that this was, uh, Hannah Thomas, the lighthouse keeper. Um, but again, we're talking about, 
you know, something that was built in the 1700s. I mean, there's there's a lot. Yeah. And it's Revolutionary War ties. So there's a lot of energy there. And we've spoken in other episodes about, you know, negative energy due to war or violent events. Right. When you something know, big really, happens. Yeah, really, um, you know, entering a place, you know, the land or an object. So, you know, this one, again, not super creepy, but much more believable. There there aren't a lot of stories about people witnessing things at the lighthouse, but there's a lot of stories about the, the eerie feelings, um, the cold that you feel there, uh, and then this, this photographer's report. Of course, I, I thought, you're a photographer. Why do you take a picture of it? Right, no kidding, <laughs> you know. You got a camera. Maybe you were so scared that yeah. you didn't. Well, it, it's one of those things you can never – you know, you never know how you're going to react in right. a situation. Yeah. And if I were to see something full bodied like that, then I may not think to take a picture of it, no, you know, I'd be too busy looking for the toilet paper. Right. So <clears throat> real quick, if y'all, I'm just going to interrupt Matt before he does another one real quick. If y'all hear some odd noises in the room that aren't normally here, I'm fostering a beagle puppy for a week. So I'm having to keep an eye on him to make sure he doesn't climb up my walls or chew anything. So he's in here with us, and he's making noise. So if y'all hear that, just know it's a cute little beagle puppy that's on the floor. That's right. That's right. Sorry, Matt. Um, no, nah, no sweat. So uh, moving around in Plymouth, uh, another uh, well-known haunt is Cordage Park. Cordage Park at the time was the largest factory in Plymouth. By the 1900s, it was the largest rope manufacturer in the world. Uh, people say it, it's cordage. Cl- I cordage. just got it. Cordage yeah, rope. Cordage. Yeah, huh? you got it. Ah. <laughs> so it's abandoned now. It's closed. Um, but people have reported that you can hear music being played. You can hear children laughing. Uh, and nobody's there. Uh, night security guards... Uh, have told stories about an elevator that operates completely on its own. And it will just start up, start moving up, start going down. But they also say that if you walk up to the elevator and you say, can you get that for me? It'll immediately open. Really? Yeah. Um, So that's pretty cool. There's a story about a young boy um, who got into one of the smokestacks and died. And that you can hear him um, calling for help. crying, things like that. So a lot of stories of, of disembodied voices and things moving around. You know, again, a really, really old building right there in Plymouth where, you know, the Pilgrims landed. Right. So. right. Yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff like that around the uh, around the, the Plymouth area just because, like you said earlier, there's history there. And right. there there's a lot of, you know, there was a lot of battles and stuff between – the Native Americans and the colonists right. and everything. So that that energy level has burned some bad stuff in yeah. there, and not just uh, not just battles, but but death in general. I mean, life in the 1700s was not easy. No, I mean, you know, you're you had to be completely self sufficient, and you know, if you got sick, if your child got sick, you didn't have a doctor that was down the street. Right. You know, if you had a doctor that you could get to at all, you know, it may be a, a day's ride away. 
Yeah. You know, and and people got a cold and just up and yep. died. You can you could have died from a toothache. Yeah, and so the the amount of of death that that happened in this area because of early settlements, you know, people looking to make a new life, they were being introduced to a lot of things that they had not experienced, you know, in England. Right. You know, uh, different foods, different temperatures, uh, and definitely different diseases. Oh, for sure. You know, different animals and insects that carried diseases. Um, and they were very, very susceptible to that. So again, you know, a lot of negative energy surrounding, you know, traumatic deaths, Yeah. you know, leaves an imprint oh, on the land. Sure. So for sure. So I've got one that this one just really captured me as soon as I started, uh, reading about this and I know it did the same thing for Matt because this is just an all encompassing area um, some of y'all may have heard of it it's the Bridgewater Triangle and the Bridgewater Triangle it actually got its name um, cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman in the 70s actually named it because there was stuff going on in he, that, he was the one that actually figured out it was a triangle, right? Right, right. Um, there were reports, you know, back into uh, the 1700s, but he was the one that, in his book, uh, Mysterious America, actually named it the Bridgewater Triangle, and then it kind of caught on from there, um, and it it came more into, I guess, the the modern colloquialism. I'd say um, now uh, it covers a uh, it's 30 miles south of Boston and it's a 200 mile, 200 square mile area um, that that has the towns of Abington, Freetown, Rehoboth and let's see, Raynham, Towton, Brockton, Mansfield, Norton and Easton, among a lot of others. So if you're from the area and you live in in one of those cities, you're right smack dab in the middle yeah. of the Bridgewater Triangle. You might want to move. Yeah, I would. I would move. Uh, just visit <laughs> Bridgewater Triangle. Don't live there. Um, now, some of the reason for the activity that we're going to talk about has said to come from some Native American curses. Um, there was a war between the colonist and the Wampanoag tribe that they dubbed the King Philip's War. 500 colonists and 3,000 Native Americans died in this war. Um, the Wampanoag chief was murdered, and his head was placed on a pike outside the camp for 20-plus years. And the Wampanoags were said to have placed a curse on this land because of that. Yeah, can you imagine what a head does in 20 years? 20 years, years? yeah. <laughs> probably <laughs> It probably does a whole lot in the first year. And then just sits there staring at you weirdly for the next 19. Um, but there's also uh, the other tale of that same that same war. Um, at the end of that war, the colonists had talked the Wampanoag chief into surrendering to them. They said, you know, your people will have it a lot better. We'll treat them nice. Everything will go okay if you surrender. So he surrendered. And that's when they beheaded him, and they stole what legends say is the wampum belt. 
and the wampum belt was a sacred belt of the Wampanoag Indians. And it is said that the spirits of the chief and other Native Americans will haunt that area until the wampum belt is returned. There you go with the belts again. I know. It, <laughs> everything has something to do with belts. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to be able to hold up my pants anymore because he keeps dogging out the belts yeah, that I have. Every and belt, me they're every on belt I bring up, Matt's like, well, throwing that one away. I got to well, get rid of it. Well, throwing that one away. I got to get rid of it. Instead of throwing it away, why don't you take it back? Just take the wampum belt oh. back, and that might stop a lot of these things. Um, now, there are a ton of things over over the last three centuries because one of the first recorded incidents in the Bridgewater Triangle was at 10 a.m. on May 10th, 1760, and a sphere of fire was reported to hover over New England and emit a light so bright that it cast shadows in the morning sun. So we start with lights, lots of lights um, in this in this area. Um, but we'll move to the Hockamock Swamp. Now, the Hockamock Swamp is a 5,000-plus acre area, and it's apparently the site of 8,000-year-old Native American burial grounds. Um, and even the Wampanoag Indians revered it as a holy area, a dangerous area, and they wouldn't go there. There's a a little island in one of the lakes there in the Hockamock Swamp that they call the Grassy Island, and there are graves on there. When archaeologists were excavating those graves to see who they who they contained and what they contained, a red ochre was removed from some of these burial sites. As soon as they dug it up and, and it touched air, it bubbled and then disappeared. So a lot of that can be, you know, people attribute that to a curse releasing or whatever. But you can also say, well, this ochre has been in the ground for how long? And it hasn't been exposed to that much air. You get it out into the atmosphere and it goes away. Um, They, uh, the Wampanoag Indians called it the place where spirits dwell. Um, and it was apparently the it, it was a place of foreboding that they wouldn't go to. Now there there have been stories of so you come in here to scratch. Good job, Nash. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's a good segue. And um, I, I wanted to touch on this prior to to the King Philip's War and all this. This area of what's now Massachusetts was sacred ground to this tribe. Right. I mean, this war didn't happen and this, this land just became this way. The Indians already felt that it was that way. Right. And so all of the things that happened just so happened here. Right. On, on their sacred ground. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Was it, was it the war that caused this or was it, the area that caused the war. Yeah, they believed that there was there was stuff that went on right around the swamp in the surrounding area. Uh, the war just kind of happened to be there. Right. But the, but the land there was sacred to them, and, and they believed that spirits inhabited those woods and the swamp. So, you know, the these Europeans that are moving in there, 
they're moving in on sacred ground. So right. this tribe was going to try to protect it because it was sacred to them. Um, so that that's something to keep in mind, that the history of this area dates back a lot further than just the Europeans moving in there. Right. And it, it, it had its own history, you know, prior right. to right. the colonists coming in. Um, a few of the other things that have been reported in the Hockamock Swamp is there is a large cat that they dubbed the Mansfield Mystery Cat. And it's said to resemble a giant tan mountain lion. And there have been some stories of, you know, it being gray or it being black, but 90, 95% of the stories are it's a tan giant mountain lion cat. Do you know what really resembles a tan giant mountain lion? No. A tan giant mountain lion. See? Yeah. It, it could just be a mountain lion. Um, there are also reports of giant red-eyed dogs. And a man in 1976 called the police after he watched a large dog the size of both of his ponies rip the throats out of his ponies. He said he got scared and he shot at the dog as he was running away, but he missed. And the dog trotted back off into the trees. Now, when he called the police, the police launched a three-day search for this dog. And they never came up with anything. Now, I'm one of those guys that if the authorities get involved in a story, I'm a little more likely to believe something happened. Something was seen, you know, they believe something happened. Because there's a lot of these that you hear about, and they didn't call anybody, they didn't tell anybody, and you're like, well, there's nothing to corroborate it. Right. But if you've got police reports on this, then something happened. They Something happened enough where they believed it to go out there and, and search for something. Within the Hockamock Swamp, there is the Dighton Rock. And there again, I may, may be mispronouncing that. Um, but it's on the banks of the Taunton River, um, and it lies right across from that grassy island burial ground that we were talking about. And the rock has numerous inscriptions on it um, that nobody actually knows who carved it. Um, some people speculate that it was the Native Americans, that it was the Wampanoag Indians, that it could have been Vikings or Phoenicians, but nobody's ever really, you know, been able to figure out who it was. So the Dighton Rock intrigues archaeologists and everything to this day, but they do know that it was a sacred place for the Wampanoag Indians, that even if they weren't the ones to carve it, the Native Americans knew that this was a sacred place, a place of power. Um, there's also, there's a lot of rocks in the Hockamock Swamp, apparently. Yeah. Because um, there's also Profile Rock. Now, Profile Rock is another big landmark um, that's kind of gained some paranormal reputation. It's located in Freetown. And if you stand on a hill, um, it's a certain hill at a certain angle. So when you look at this rock, it shows a clear portrait of a Native American face looking out from the stone. And long before the the colonists arrived, the Wampanoag people considered Profile Rock sacred. And there's local legends that claim that Native American ghost dancers in warrior dress dance around this rock. So if it 
if it was a holy place like they say, that makes sense. You would mm-hmm. see the warriors dancing around the rock before a battle. Um, there's also stories of a Native American chief or holy man that likes to sit on this rock. And sometimes people will be out standing on the hill taking pictures and they'll see the chief sitting and gazing out into the, the swamp. Is that currently? Yes. So, oh, okay. Yep. Um, so there's also an, another rock. I told you about there's a lot of rocks. Um, Anawan or Anawan Rock. Uh, it's right off Route 44 in Rehoboth. Um, chief Anawan was the chief that was beheaded. This rock is supposedly where he was beheaded and where the wampum belt was stolen. So it's believed that the his tribe members haunt this area and will continue to haunt this area until the wampum belt is returned. You can see ghostly fires, spectral fires as they call them, out in the swamp. If you're standing around, you can see these fires kind of shimmering out in the, the swamp, and then they'll go off, and then they'll come back just randomly. Um, there's stories of people seeing a Native American medicine man appear in front of them and basically just stare at you with pleading eyes, and then he'll disappear. There's also, again, the dancers. There's the ghostly dancers that are supposed to dance around this rock. And all of that is supposed to cease if the wampum belt is ever found and returned. Yeah, and there's um, there's several stories of, of hikers being followed by the uh, an apparition of a tall, broad-shouldered Native American with feathers in in his uh, like his headband, and he's carrying a bow and and a quiver of arrows, and and he's actively following. Now, the three accounts that I read, he will follow through the woods. He never seems to actually catch up, but he's close, and and you get the feeling that he's getting closer. But he will not follow you into the actual park, into the the national park. Right. Uh, he will go as far as the road, but will actually stand at the road and physically watch you leave before he he disappears. And like I said, I read I read about three accounts of people that had you know experienced this, but it was frightening enough for them that they said we need to get out of here. Right. Um, it looked real enough that they thought this is actually somebody. Yeah. And they're coming after us. But then after the fact, when it stopped at the road and then slowly faded, that's when the stories come out that there was, you know, that they were haunted by those woods right there were haunted by a spirit uh, of a Native American warrior. Right. Protecting that area or guarding that area. Right. So to move away from the the Native American uh, lore and legends. There's also been a ton, a ton of UFO sightings. And there's there's just a bunch. So I'm going to, we'll just read out a few of them um, that happen. And then if you feel like 
researching more, you can research more of it because there are a ton. Yeah, there's there's so much that you can read on this. There's documentaries. Yeah. And I, documentaries, plural. Right. I'm talking full-length feature films about this place. Right. So you can find one of those on Amazon Video. So after you listen to this, just go on Amazon Video and search Bridgewater Triangle. Um, in 1760, uh, that was probably the first documented UFO report. Um, and then again in 1908, there was another UFO sighting that was documented in the local papers. In 1968, five people claimed that they saw a strange ball of light floating among the, among the trees in a wooded part of Rehoboth. In 1970s, UFO sightings were frequently reported to occur in areas of the Bridgewater Triangle. In a 76 report, two UFOs were seen landing along Route 44 near Towton. Uh, 1994, a Bridgewater law enforcement officer reported seeing a triangle-shaped craft with red and white lights. And see, those, those seem more believable. Right. I, I don't know why. But if you get a police officer, uh, someone in law enforcement, uh, even a park ranger that says, I saw this craft and it was shaped like a triangle and it had these lights and it didn't move or make a sound like an aircraft that I'd ever seen. For whatever reason, they seem more legit. And, And I think part of that is these guys have a reputation and a job on the line. So for you to come back to the station and go, Hey, I just saw a UFO. Right. You got to really believe what you saw to come back and say, I've got to sit down and fill out a report that I saw this in the park. Right. And be willing to take the ridicule. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that the, the, the stories that you hear about the UFO sightings out there, um, they're cool, but they're convincing. Yep. Yep. Uh, all the ones I, I read, um, I didn't get into every one of them because I we could have done a whole, uh, a whole episode on just the UFO sightings in the Bridgewater Triangle. Um, but all the ones I read were very convincing. You know, there a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of common sightings with the same one. You know, it wasn't just one person saw this one craft. It was five, ten people saw the same craft in about the same time and about the same area. Yeah. Um, so along the lines of UFOs, there's a, a thing called the Raynham Lights. And there is a local dog track in Raynham, Massachusetts, that has a railroad track running behind it. And the the city of Raynham actually gets a lot of reports of glowing balls of light that seem to float over the ground at the railroad tracks there. Um, and they're said to be either spook lights or UFOs or puck wudgie. What's a spook light? Spook light is, I guess it's just a, it's one of those country terms for <laughs> ghost, you know. Um, That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a, a country colloquialism for. <laughs> that is something my granny would have said. Exactly. Look at them spook lights out yep. there. Because they spooky, <laughs> that's why. Um, so, I mentioned Puck Wudgie. Now, hey, I, I, I think I caught one of them on Pokemon Go. Yeah, you may have, and <laughs> it actually sounds a lot like a Pokemon. 
Um, but they are from Wampanoag folklore. Um, and it's long before colonists showed up. They've been in Wampanoag folklore for centuries. And they're described as three to four feet tall, hairy, with large noses and large fingers. And they're said to control or be accompanied by orbs of light. Um, according to legend, they can appear and disappear at will. They can lure people to their deaths, use magic, launch poisonous arrows, and create fire. Um, they were believed to have started out as friendly, like tricksters. And then at some point, they turned against people. Um, and the folklore tells you to leave them alone. If you see them, ignore them, move on, because they will try to try to play nasty tricks on you. They'll follow you um, to try to cause trouble. They can kidnap you. There's been stories of Pukwudgie pushing people off of cliffs, um, attacking victims with short little knives and spears, or throwing sand at you to blind you. Um, so little fat, hairy, mean things with little knives and spears. Yeah, it'd it, make you go, "Oh, he's so cute!" Oh, he just threw sand in my yeah, eye, and then he stabs you to death. <laughs> um, in 1990, there was a man named Bill Russo, and Bill Russo was walking his dog. It was a, a German Shepherd mix, um, and they're walking down in this like clearing area that has power lines over it. So it, it's cleared out of trees and there's forest on either side. And the dog became frightened and kind of whimpering and trying to hide behind him. And he wasn't sure why. Well, then Bill heard this high pitched voice speaking a language that he couldn't recognize. And if you want to hear him do it, go watch the documentary. I'm not going to do it because I'm just not, <laughs> uh, it, it's just not going to happen. So go, Go watch the documentary to hear him emulate what that voice sounded like. Um, but he couldn't recognize the language. Well, that's when he saw this creature step out from the woods, and it was covered in hair. It had a pot belly, and it was about three to four feet tall. And it was holding out its hand and beckoning to him and still speaking in this high-pitched language. And Bill didn't approach um, he turned around and he and his dog jogged back home. And he said he didn't talk about it for a long time because he was afraid of ridicule. Well, when he finally came out about it, he said, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. So this has been 20 plus years ago. I want to go ahead and get it out and talk about it. So it came out not too long ago about his experience. So people think that was probably a puck that he experienced. Um, now, along with the cryptids, we'll move on into even more cryptids. There're a ton, just a buttload of Bigfoot sightings. Yeah, and remember, we're still in the same area. Yeah. We're still in this triangle. Yeah. So if if you're keeping score, we've now had ghosts. Mhm. Uh we've had UFOs. Mhm. And we've had Pukwudgie. Right. So a a, a, a woodland trickster creature. Right. That's magic. Right. So that there, that's just the tip of the iceberg, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and 
we're just kind of caressing lightly over the top of these things because, yet again, each one of these topics, each one of these categories could take us a full episode. So go do do some of your own research if you want, you know. Yeah, you, if you want to crawl down a rabbit hole, pick any one of these. Yep. And, and go do some reading on it. And, yeah. and you, we'll you, see you, you in a month. Yeah, I you mean, just, just one of them. Right. So we'll move on to Bigfoot. And there are a whole lot of varied sightings that happen. Um, in 1970, reports of a Bigfoot-like, seven-foot-tall, hairy monster and its foot footprints instigated the Bridgewater State Police Canine Unit to conduct a search for a bear. However, neither man nor bear was ever found. And I think I read that it was like a seven-day-long or ten-day-long hunt that they had the canine unit out searching for this large Bigfoot bear thing. Um, in 1978, paranormal researcher Joseph M. DeAndrade claims to have observed another such creature as it slowly walked into the brush of the Hockamock Swamp. It was about 200 yards from his location. He chronicled his sighting in his book, Passing Strange, True Tales of New England Hauntings and Horrors. So, yet again, another book. If you want to go down the rabbit hole on, you can grab that book. Um, Bigfoot have also been sighted around the Claybanks Lakes. The two lakes, one a little bit smaller than the other one, and there have been sightings all over around those lakes. Um, Also, and I'm going to get this wrong, um, they call it the Nip, but it's Lake Nipponicket. Um, there are reports of red-haired orangutan-like humanoids. So they're not quite Bigfoot. I've kind of put them in the same category because humanoid creature, but they're a lot smaller. They're probably only five feet or so tall, they were saying, and they're red-haired and kind of orangutan-like. So more, more primate-ish. Right. Right. Uh, more like some of the primates that if you're into cryptids or whatever, um, more of the primate humanoids that they talk about in Papua New Guinea and not so much what they talk about here in North America. Yeah. And, and one thing that's interesting about this is, believe it or not, a swamp in Massachusetts is not a natural habitat for an orangutan much less multiple ones. Right. So it's not something you would expect to see. And then if you see it and think, hey, that's an orangutan. In your brain, you recognize an orangutan. Okay. It goes back to our last episode where we're talking about the uncanny valley, where you see something and it, it looks too human. Right. And it makes it, it, makes it more eerie. Right. So you know what an orangutan looks like. You know what a person looks like. And this looks like some kind of strange hybrid because of the way it moves or the stature. And you go, that's not an orangutan. And it looks too much like a person. So it kind of scares me. Right. You know, this kind of this kind of goes to the the mystique of this place. 
you know, maybe it's not Bigfoot. Maybe it's got its own. Maybe it's got right. its own cryptid that's there. Um, there's so much activity uh, in and around this swamp and in this triangle that it, it's hard to say, you know, what people are seeing. I mean, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody said, yeah, there's there's like a whole family of orangutans living out there. Yeah. Which would be weird enough on its own. Right. But again, that you know, that's not what people are reporting. Um, but they are reporting those and and actual large seven foot ish creatures um that that move with um with a lumbering walk more like, you know, a human being would as opposed to, you know, an actual ape. Right. You know, which you see, they don't they don't really walk on on two legs. They they their hands are close to the ground. Yeah, kind of walking know. on their knuckles. Right, right. Um, so I mean, like I said, this this stuff is it's ridiculous the amount that uh, people have experienced in this area. And um, go do your own research. I think you'll be surprised. Like I said, Adam and I had not really heard of this until we started looking into, um, you know, haunted Massachusetts. Right. Yeah. And it would it stuck with us immediately just because of the numerous varied accounts of everything in here. And it just it amazes me that one area that's two hundred square miles could have this much activity, you know, overlapping activity of so many things. Um like in the same area that these Bigfoots are seen, there is an area called Bird Hill. And when I tell you about this, you're going to go, well, that that's irony, you know, because it's called Bird Hill. And since 1971, there have been numerous sightings of phenomenally large black birds with wingspans that stretch from 8 to 12 feet. So if you go back to Native American lore, that's a thunderbird. And there have been sightings all over this um there in 1984 there was actually a report of two of these creatures fighting in the air so like you see eagles fight and they'll lock talons and kind of do that spirally fighting thing it was reported that there were two thunderbirds actually fighting in the air in 1984 so really weird so talk about what a thunderbird is so a thunderbird is, it's it's a spirit bird, if, right? If I'm if I'm correct, I'm I'm trying to to not go down another right. rabbit hole. Well, it gets its name because uh, there's two varying reports of why it gets its name. Um, one is the more anatomical reason because its wingspan and its wings are so large that when it flaps, it sounds like thunder, and it sounded like thunder to the native people. Also. The more spiritual or um, not paranormal, but maybe preternatural type uh, story is that this bird was seen bringing in the storms. As it flew into an area, it was preceding storms and there were thunderstorms on its heels. So as it flew over your camp, you knew a storm was almost there. Right. And if you... um you know, if if you look in in pictures of Native American art, you see thunderbirds throughout the 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 paintings that you'll see 
the bright red and yellow and blue of this symmetrical bird large head but this enormous wingspan they're really popular um for tattoo artists to do you know you you've seen them if you ever look at a picture you'll see it um native american totems you know very common to have a thunderbird at the very top with his with his wings open then uh, even again at the bottom supporting the entire totem and you know, we bring this in because, like we said at the beginning, talking about the Bridgewater Triangle, the the history of what's going on here dates back before the the European history that began as the settlers came in there. Right. Um, so these things were they were not understood by the Native Americans that were there, by the tribes that were there, but they had their own definition of what it was. So they weren't afraid of it necessarily. They saw it and respected and it. respected it, um, and it was there. But if we're talking about birds of this size, you know that aren't eagles, right? That inhabit this area, you know, we're talking about something that that the tribes of that time pre you know seventeen hundreds, you know, saw and witnessed and and have stories about. Again, it, it just it just goes to the mystery of this area. Right. I mean, and if there are to be birds of this size nowadays, in modern times, then you have to look at it a couple ways, and you can look at it a couple ways for all of these sightings and all of these little areas that we've talked about. Either one that. They are a spiritual being, and they do not take up a space on this plane. That The Thunderbird itself is the spiritual bird that brings the storms, that you know, it is a harbinger to the, the darker, stormier times, and does not actually like live and feed and breed and stuff like a normal bird would. Or... The second one is like you were saying uh, off mic and have said a couple times since we started it, that this area is a portal. Right. And these birds live, the Bigfoot live in another dimension, we'll say, and they come to our dimension from time to time, and that's when they're seen. Yeah. And so... If you want to find a way to tie all these stories together, you know, ghosts, cryptids, Bigfoot, Thunderbirds, UFOs, it all goes back to one thing, energy. Right. So let's say this place is a portal. You know, if, if you buy into that, if you don't buy into that, just let's say it is. So an interdimensional portal would require so much energy, you know, if, if these things truly exist. So all that energy around that triangle, and if there's entities that can pass from one dimension to another freely, um, Thunderbirds, you know, Bigfoot, that it's widely been thought that creatures like this 
we're interdimensional. That's why we don't see dead ones. Right. You know, that's why they're, they're spotted in so many different locations, you know, but yet few and far between. Um, but the energy of, you know, a, an interdimensional portal of bloodshed, ghosts, right? you know, spirits lingering, spirits attached to the swamp, the burial grounds, the, the rocks, um, you know, it, it, it ties everything together that this part, this triangle, you know, in this part of Massachusetts contains so much energy that that explains why all these things are happening here, why people have so many experiences and such varied experiences. Right. Um, it, it, just, it, it just makes this thing so cool to even imagine what all could potentially be going on there. Yep. And you, you can't look at any one story and go, eh, this one's a hoax, but this one's okay. I'll buy this and I won't buy that. Because there are convincing arguments for every single story that comes out about this area. And, you know, if you've heard us say Bridgewater Triangle and thought in your head Bermuda Triangle, you're on the right track. Yep. You know, so this this could be another area very similar. Um, even if, and, and this is one of the best stories I read in researching this, an actual team of paranormal investigators went into the woods. I believe it's around 2011. Right. If I think I, you're if right. I'm remembering yeah. it right. Thank you. Right. So they go in with the idea of we're going to go in here and actually do some investigating. We're going to bring some equipment. We're going to bring some digital recorders. We're going to bring an EMF reader, and we're going to go in. And he says we show up at the park, and we're, we're telling the ranger at, at the entrance, you know, hey, we're going to the park, and they're like, okay, whatever. You know, it wasn't a big deal. Right. So here they go and they begin hiking and they, they hike through some trails and they're noticing that cell phone's not working very well. You know, compass isn't, you know, really working all that well. And, they, they, you know, they come they come to a clearing and they hear laughter. What they initially describe as kids, but multiple Right. You know, so many voices, you know, laughing and, and they they begin to think, ah, there's other people out here and they're messing with us. You know, yeah. they're just it's just somebody having fun. So they ignore it and they keep going. And they get to an area where they believe the laughter was coming from. And they find what looks like a campsite, you know, a, a, a fire pit that's been doused and, and a couple of tents. And as they're looking at this, one of the guys says, I recognize that tent. My dad had the same one, and that tent was made in the 70s. But these tents look like they've been there for years. He, he describes them as being ratty. Mm-hmm. The poles are rusted. You know, it, it looks like an abandoned campsite. Yeah. But he thought, why in the world would anybody just leave their gear out here? Um. And he said, about that time, the laughter begins again. But this time, it's more of a cackle. And it's mocking them. So it makes them a little nervous. But they decide it's still somebody messing with us. So let's mess with them back. So they said, let's let's howl. Let's make some noise. 
So they said as they're walking, they begin to like howl, all of them, just like like a wolf or something like that, just kind of mocking them. And he said at the time that they stopped, the woods got completely quiet, totally silent. He said there wasn't a breeze rustling leaves. You know, the trees weren't moving. He said it was just eerily silent. He said then out of the silence comes a howl and then multiple howls, almost mocking them. So at this point, they're thinking, yeah, we might need to get out of here. Yeah. So they decide we're going to turn around. So when they turn around, they're trying to leave this clearing that they're in. Where they thought they came from on the trail, they, they can't find it. It's not there. So they were like, uh, we just got turned around, and we're... You know, we're, we're not sure where we came in from, so it must be a run. And then they finally decided, no, this was how we came in here. This is where the trail was that we walked in on, and it's not there now. So let's, let's go and find another trail. So they find another trail, and they walk, and they walk. They're still hearing this cackling laughter, and they're, they're feeling like it's getting closer, like it's following them. So continue on, still hearing the laughter, getting more and more nervous. They realize we've been walking for 10, 15 minutes, and we're right back where we were in the clearing where they couldn't find the Mm -hmm. trail. So, okay, okay, let's retrace our steps. And they go back. The trail they just came in on is gone. So now they're really beginning to freak out. They're like, okay, there was a trail right here, and it's not here now. So where do we go? So he describes them walking down yet another trail and coming to a fork. And they decide, okay, we're going to go to the left. So they go to the left, and then they really begin to feel like something's behind them. And so they kind of start to run because now they're getting nervous because they can't find their car. They just want out of these woods. So they're running. The guy describes something running past him, but behind him, Mm -hmm. like perpendicular. Right. And he could feel it just go, you know, right behind him and into the woods. So now he's really booking it. At some point, one of the guys says, oh, crap, I've lost the, the EMF reader. And so they're like, well, you know what? Who cares? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we need to get out of here. He said, about that time, they look around, and the EMF reader is on the ground, and it's been torn apart. Not like it's been dropped. It's been dismantled by hands. Inside's pulled out. Yeah, by hands. So, okay, last straw, (laughs) we got to go. And so they, they, they really start trying to move and get out. And all of a sudden... Bam. There they are. They're back where their car is. They can see the the, the ranger station, everything. And, and they're out. And the guy that tells the story, he, he says this was the most unbelievable thing that he's ever experienced. But he said as, as far as, as he can tell, this is exactly what was going on. 
And they believe that it was possibly Puckawudgee. Right. Because they're tricksters being able to conceal the trail or reveal a trail that they needed to go just just to loop them around. Right. Um, but he tells his story with such conviction. And, and there are other people that were in his team that corroborate the story um, along with all the other stories that you hear. Uh, again, they're compelling. You know, they, they make you want to believe them. Um, so it, it, it's just another one of these, hey, there's these strange little creatures that live here that mess with you mm-hmm. when you go into the woods. Right. Um, and, you know, here they were. You know, they're trying to, to do recordings. They're trying to use a compass. And none of that stuff works. Right. Um, the so other go, thing, go I would, well, the other thing I was uh, thinking when you were telling that story is it sounded to me a lot like a time slip story, like the with the tents from the seventies and all that stuff. That you know, it's possible. Okay, that they time slipped and they're now in a different time or a different dimension where it is that time and the trails that they were looking for were not there in that time, that they weren't created until later. And so they're turned around because the forest is different. And, you know, so in that could have, it could have either been just the, the portal area, like you were talking that they slipped into uh, another time or another dimension, or it could have been the puck because they are said to be magic that could have changed it back to another time visually to confuse them. Um, so on another, uh, last couple things we got about the triangle here is there are a lot of ghosts and hauntings, um, and a lot of the ranger stations are haunted. You know, a lot of the, we talked about the, the Anawan rock and everything that's haunted, but there's also like some more modern day is what I would call them, uh, ghosts. There is apparently a red-headed hitchhiker along Route 44 in Rehoboth um, that kind of said to have a big red beard, and he almost kind of looks like a lumberjack, is what people say, like a red-headed lumberjack. Yeah, when you said red-headed hitchhiker, that wasn't what I was thinking. No, yeah. It, you it, just ruined my visual. I know. It, it's it's a dude. Sorry, Matt. It's a dude. <laughs> um, but he's said to have been seen... Uh, by drivers both outside their vehicles, like on the side of the road, or the face will pop up in their um, in their rearview mirror, something like that, to where he's still outside of the vehicle, you know, or they'll be driving, and he'll jump basically in front of the windshield, and you'll just see the torso flash in your windshield. Um, freak them out, they stop. But... It's also said that he appears in passenger seats where if you're driving down, you'll be driving by yourself and you'll look over and there's a basically a redheaded lumberjack now sitting in your vehicle. Um, a lot of like urban legends have been put to him, though. He's been attributed to, you know, if you got three people in the car and you're driving down this certain area, then he shows up in the fourth seat. And, you know, if you stop your vehicle and you honk three times, then he'll appear. And so just a, a lot of 
a lot of urban legends have been put to him. Swamp gas. Right. Yep. Swamp gas. Uh, <laughs> there's also another one um, from Freetown that is a ghostly trucker um, that he's supposed to speed along this Copa Cut Road and he's blaring his horn and it's, it's this big semi and it's a ghostly semi and he's blaring his horn and he's threatening passing motorists and he tries to tailgate you and run you off the road and basically just terrorizing anybody who's driving down the Copa Cut Road. And it's actually, there have been traffic incidents and reports filed that said this ghostly trucker is what caused them to wreck their vehicle because there's no one else around and they just, they're in a ditch, you know, their car is rolled over in a ditch. And they said it was because they were ran off the road by this mad ghost trucker. Um, which that's not the only place that you hear stories about a mad ghost trucker. You know, that that route 66. Oh yeah. Has a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the ghostly trucker stories, um, you know, out around Arizona and Nevada, they're very, very common. Yep. So, and if you're a ghostly trucker who's listening to our podcast, send us an email. Say <laughs> hey, give us a rating. Yep, uh, rate us on iTunes um, or whatever ghostly podcast um, streamer that you have. We like ghost reviews as well. Yeah, come on with you, uh, ghostly truck driving. <laughs> Talk to Teddy Bear. Hell yeah. Um, anyway, there is. Um, uh, to kind of finish up the triangle here, there's an area of the t- triangle called the Freetown Fall River State Forest. And in the Freetown Fall River State Forest, there has been supposedly several satanic cults that were said to have practiced and worshipped there. And of course, uh, yeah, it always comes back to these dang Satanists. Um, but they have found mutilated uh, calves, dead birds that have been mutilated. Um, there have been stories of human sacrifice. There have been stories of child sacrifice and child torture. Um, they found different like cabins and stuff in this forest that have 666 painted on there and like slabs that are said to have been stained with blood so that you can basically imagine a sacrifice taking place there. They found a bunker basically in this forest that it was covered over by blue tarp. The entrance was, and then they had a bunch of, branches and leaves and everything thrown on top of it. So unless you were coming at a certain angle, you didn't see it. You just saw forest and they found it. And this is a policeman talking about it. And they were in there investigating some of the mutilations and, and people disappearing. They were looking for them and they found this and they removed the tarp and they went down in. And there are, there were, a bunch of headless baby dolls uh, binding, you know, like rope and basically whips and stuff. And there was a chair that was 
they said child size and it had rope on the chair as if to bind a child and and this was a area of torture for the Satanist. Um there was a murder that occurred in this forest and they found the body of this girl tied to a tree and she was headless and they caught the guy who did it and they said that it wasn't he wasn't tied to these Satanist cults. But then a lot of stories came out and said that he was. So that's kind of up in the air, whether it was due to uh, Satanist or just a one-off weird guy. And because of this area having that aura and being in the triangle and the, the energy that we were talking about, that it caused, you know, the, the murder and everything to happen there. Yeah, and one thing to to remember, all of these places, <clears throat> all of these stories that we're talking about within this triangle, there are towns within these. I mean, there's people living here. This is not like, you know, it's out in the ocean or it's all wooded and it's remote. Right. There, There's people there. I mean, there are homes there. You know, like there's whole towns there yeah. that all are encompassed within this place. So these places are heavily populated. Well, I don't know about heavily, but there's there's people there for sure. Um, so there's there's a lot of of eyes to witness a lot of this. Stuff. Yeah, there's law enforcement there. So a lot of these reports are are verifiable through investigation and things like that. So. Um, again, when we talk about the, uh, the Bridgewater Triangle, you know, we're not just talking about, oh, well, there's some really interesting things. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things, but they've, a lot of them have been verified that if, if they didn't come out and say, this was Bigfoot, this was a UFO, this was a ghost sighting, they're verified in that. These reports were investigated, and something happened. We don't know what. Yep. There are uh, on-the-books reports from police officers or park officials or the like that it's actually there to, you know, legitimize something happened, where in a lot of other places you don't get that. So a really cool area that just kind of captured – Matt and I's attention as soon as we came across it. And we knew that this episode was basically going to be all about the Bridgewater Triangle because how could it not be? Right, right. I mean, it's probably the most the most famous aspect of uh, of paranormal events in, in Massachusetts. Um, but, you know, we had a lot of the, um, the other stories. And there's ones we didn't touch on that people are going to – Bring up, you know, the 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 Lizzie Borden house uh, is in Massachusetts, and and a lot of people know that story. Um, the the Hoosack Tunnel um, is a large railway tunnel. Two hundred people died during its construction. Um, a lot of haunted stories about seeing, you know, ghost miners, um, you know, uh, workers, you know, ghost spectral workers that will warn you of oncoming trains and things like that. Um, the Hawthorne, Hawthorne Hotel, uh, another one, um, you know, orbs, 
you know, laughing apparitions, things like that. Um, you know, they, they all have really, really cool stories all located right there in Massachusetts where, you know, it, you know, Plymouth, you know, was where it all started. That's why Plymouth is known as, you know, America's hometown. Yep. Um, you know, so we, we realized real quick, we, We've got to touch on this, and there's a lot to talk about. So, you know, we really hope that you guys enjoyed some of these stories. Because um, I know we enjoyed researching this. And like I said, we had not heard of this Bridgewater Triangle stuff until we got into it. Right. So. And there may be a trip in our future to go personally oh, yeah. see this place um, and try to experience whatever we can of it. Since it's not too terribly far from us. No. But, you know. Um, but... We wanted to let y'all know that we are going to be off next week. We're uh, taking a break for the holidays because we're recording this before Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to y'all. Happy yeah. back Black Friday. That's right. Enjoy the shop and be safe. But we're going to have family in town. We're going to be in food comas. Yeah, turkey coma. Um, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. So we're going to take next week off. Um and then we will be back the week after that with a more local story to us. We yeah. won't tell you what it is just yet, but it'll be as we started a Tennessee story. So go ahead, and while you're waiting for our next episode to come out, send us an email if you live in Massachusetts or if you've been to Massachusetts and you've experienced some of these events or you've experienced something different, send us an email and let us know. Um, or go to our Facebook group and get on there and post about it and so that everybody can hear about it and we can start a discussion. It's getting to be a real fun group. We want to grow it, though, to get a lot more people into the graveyard group. Now, if you enjoy what you hear, please tell somebody about it. Go tell a friend. Go go tell your mama. Go tell your daddy. I don't care. Tell somebody about it. Make them listen. Give us a review. Give us a, a, a leave a, a rating and a, everything for us. That really helps us grow the graveyard. And we really, we really, Adam caught me off guard. So. <laughs> <laughs> We really appreciate all of the feedback. Um, and please, like Adam said, give us a rating. Uh, we look forward to seeing you, you guys back in the graveyard. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you soon.